Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome to the sixth episode of I Am Steve R. I'm going to try to be a little more regular with you guys now that my schedule has kind of uh, subsided a little bit. You know, we're kind of in a situation now where... I've got a little more time, but uh, I will be on the road some, uh, you know, covering college baseball this spring. But uh, I'm going to do my best to try to be a little more regular. I've, everywhere I go, when I go to book signings or I'm out, somebody always comes up and says, "Hey, Steve, I really enjoy. I am Steve R. When is the next episode?" And so I'm going to try to be a little more regular. I don't want to put myself in a, uh, you know, in a corner when it comes to scheduling because sometimes that becomes very difficult, and that that brings you know the stressors and that sort of stuff in life. And so. I am going to try to do better to uh, to get you guys an episode every at least once a week or so. You know, sometimes it'll be every two weeks, but I'm going to try to be a little more regular. It's one of the commitments I'm making to myself because I do believe there is some value in this time that we spend together. And so, one of the things that I wanted to talk about today, we talk so much about you know recovery is a spiritual undertaking. Because when I was in the throes of addiction, I did not have a spiritual connection to anything or anybody, much less, you know, a deity of any sort. I I never felt that I had a relationship with God. I just didn't, you know, I didn't have that connection. And uh, there are a lot of people out there that kind of felt the same way. And uh, I don't say that to ensure that I've, you know, part of the collective opinion, that it was my experience. But I understand that I am not unique in that experience because, there were a lot of us, you know, people like myself that, uh, you know, we have been preached to our entire lives. And so I, I, I was really not in a place to accept much of that. I believe I've shared this with you guys before. When, when I went on my weekend pass from Pine Grove, you know, way, way back in 1991, uh, it seems like, you know, forever ago. But, uh, you know, I went on my weekend pass and while I was home, you know, I went to church and it was a church that I had spent so much time of my teenage years. I was a member of the youth there, played church league basketball, uh, part of the youth group there. And when I went there, there were some people that, uh, you know, they weren't real happy that I was there. You know, there were some people that were pointing, some whispering. And, you know, some of that was probably in my imagination. You probably hear the storm. It's uh, rolling through the area right now. But, uh, you know, I went through that and uh, I got really resentful. I was like, you know, I'm, I'm in treatment. I'm trying to, you know, to repair myself and uh, find a new way to live. And I got really resentful. I was like, you know what, if this is what it holds for me, you know, if coming to church here, if this is what I can expect, then, uh, then I don't want it. And so for years and years and years, I, I didn't go to church. And, um, 
you know, what worked for me, you know, the higher power concept, I understood about God. I believed in God. Uh, and I believed in re- really most of the same religious principles that, uh, you know, that I was taught as a young person. But, uh, you know, some of the sheep kind of kept me, I guess, estranged from the shepherd. But that was a decision that I made. You know, they didn't purposely push me away because at the end of the day, no one can do that. That's a decision that I make. And so I kind of worship God in my own way. But it is very, very important to have a spiritual component to your recovery and to your program. And one of the big things that helps me, and I can't, I'm not going to sit here and be hypocritical and tell you guys that uh, I read the Daily Reflections every day. I do read them several times, but I don't read them every day. I should probably read them every day. In the early stages of my recovery, I read Daily Reflections every single day. You know, and then after a couple of years of, uh, of reading the Daily Reflections, you know, I switched over to Just for Today. I found some other AA-related or recovery-related, you know, devotional-type books. And um, there are a lot of them out there. I was gifted some when I first got started. And I used those tools because it kind of helped me kind of get my day off on solid footing. I, I'm a firm believer, you know, in getting up and kind of getting moving. But to take some time for myself to kind of do that daily meditation and uh, some days that's simply a prayer uh, some days that's reading the daily reflections and there are some days it's a little more involved than that but I think it is important it is in my mind instrumental in recovery to take some time to begin your day connecting with the higher power you know to find some type of connection and you know what when I first got into recovery, I was not ready to maybe claim, you know, God per se, you know, the, the, the Jewish Jesus Christ, God. I wasn't ready to listen to that. And it wasn't that God did anything to me. You know, it's just because of the fact that I was not spiritually mature enough at that point to kind of acknowledge the fact that I could have a real relationship, you know, with God as I understood him. And so I really wasn't ready to kind of get into these uh, biblical teachings and things like that. And uh, I'm being honest with you because I think it's important that, uh, you know, a lot of times today when we get deeper in recovery, we often forget what it's like to be a newcomer. We forget what it's like to be spiritually beaten. And that's what I was. I felt like that I had gone through spiritual warfare and that I was basically a POW. And so uh, I I did find some comfort in those books. And I want to share with you today's reading from the uh, Just for Today book that and that's from narcotics anonymous and uh if you're listening to this there are a lot of people out there that uh you know that i I just don't i don't really connect with in many respects because there are some people that say oh well if it's not from aa then i don't want it Uh, you know listen na is based on the same principles of alcoholics anonymous and so i just encourage you with this and everything else uh, accept it all with an open mind take what you need and leave the rest that's what they tell you But here is today's reading from the Just for Today. That's the N.A., basically the N.A. version of Daily Reflections. And I quote, Active addiction was no picnic. Many of us barely came out of it alive. But ranting against the disease, lamenting what it has done to us, pitying ourselves for the condition it has left us in, these things can only keep us locked in the spirit of bitterness and resentment. The path to freedom and spiritual growth begins where bitterness ends with acceptance. There is no denying the suffering brought by addiction. 
Yet it was this disease that brought us Narcotics Anonymous. Without it, we would neither have sought nor found the blessing of recovery. In isolating us, it forced us to seek fellowship. In causing us to suffer, it gave us the experience needed to help others. Help no one else was so uniquely suited to offer. In forcing us to our knees, addiction gave us the opportunity to surrender to the care of a loving higher power. We would not wish the disease of addiction on anyone, but the fact remains that we addicts already have this disease, and further, that without this disease, we may never have embarked on our own spiritual journey. Thousands of people search their whole lives for what we have found in Narcotics Anonymous, fellowship, a sense of purpose, a conscious contact with a higher power. Today, we are grateful for everything that this has brought us, that has brought us this blessing. Now, that is some really heavy stuff. You know, because we spend so much time talking about the consequences, you know, from addiction or from drinking or whatever your your affliction may be. If you have ever heard me speak or you've heard me mention on these shows before, you know, consequences is what leads us to recovery. You know, I didn't just wake up one day and say, you know what, I think I'm going to stop drinking. I think I'm going to stop doing drugs. I didn't make a conscious decision. I was not one of those addicts that saw the light. I had to feel the heat. And that's what the consequences brought. You know, because if, you, if people don't have consequences for their actions, they have no reason to change. If I could continue even to this day, if I could drink and drug without consequence, I would have likely never stopped drinking and drugging. And I, su- I suspect that's probably true in your life. Would never have stopped. But it was the consequences that came as a result of my, cho- my chosen behavior that led me to recovery. You know, we talk about jails, institutions, and death. Well, I, I've tried all three. Uh, I, I've gone to jail, spent six months of my life in the RID program. I have been in uh, Pine Grove Recovery. And uh, I'm also a survivor of a, a couple of suicide attempts. And so I don't know what death feels like, but I know what it feels like where you, um, you feel like you have nowhere else left to turn. And, and I share many times when I tell my story in, at, uh, at recovery houses and things like that, is that I was so far away from where I needed to be that any step I took was in the right direction. And I felt completely isolated. I felt totally alone. I thought no one understood me. There was nobody that I could share my problems with. And then in recovery, in the rooms of AA and NA, I found some kinship. I found my tribe. And listen, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I've liked everybody that's been in those rooms. That's not true. But I have respect for every single one of them. There are a lot of those people I'm not going to ask to leave the recovery. Hey, let's go get some coffee. Let's go get the breakfast buffet at Shoney's when we're done. You know, that's that conversation's not going to happen. You know, because I've got some boundaries. And there's some, you know, there's some people we talk about powerlessness. There's some people, you know, that, that say we're you're powerless over people, places, and things. But I submit to you, I'm not powerless over the time that I spend with many of them. I kind of control that. I can kind of pick and choose some of that. But I found fellowship and I found, you know, some commonality with you folks. And all of a sudden, I didn't feel quite so crazy. All of a sudden, I didn't feel quite so alone. And that's what this disease does to you. It drags you to a point of no return and it convinces you that no one could ever love you and that you can't be saved. Now, And I'll offer you this. Life changed for me. When I began to realize that there was no search party being formed to come save me, it was up to me. 
I wrote this on my Facebook earlier. I do the, the randoms from time to time. I just kind of talk about some of the things that are on my heart. And, you know, one of the things I think is important is that, you know, at the end of the day, it is always a personal decision. It is always a situation where I decide I have had enough. Where I decide, you know what, I want a better life. I am going to do this for myself. Because if I do it for any other reason, chances are I'm not going to make it. After I recorded the first episode of the show, I got a phone call from a lady I'd never met before. I never heard of her. She said, hey, a friend of mine shared your show with me, and I just want you to know it made sense to me. The way you explained it made sense to me. And she goes, you know, I've got to get sober for my family or I'm going to lose them. I've got to get sober for my job or I'm going to lose my career. And without a moment's hesitation, I responded and I said, well, what if you lost those things tomorrow anyway? Because those things in many respects are temporary. And you say, well, Steve, family's not temporary. I think there are some people in this program that would beg to differ. There are some people that lost their family through the disease of addiction. There are others that uh, have kind of had to, you know, keep their family at arm's length because their family are, are triggers. Their family uh, are key, you know, basically co-conspirators in their demise. And God forbid something should happen, and what happens if they die tomorrow? Are you going to go get loaded? Because that's not what they would want. I, I know that I speak for any of your loved ones that have passed on, None of them want their memory honored by you drinking and drugging. No one wants their memory honored by your misery. They don't want that. And that's what happens when you begin to develop a spiritual connection with a higher power. Because I know that my higher power is always with me. You know, I heard a guy say one time about the higher power concept. He goes, you know what? And uh, I love Bob. I do. I haven't seen him in, in probably 20 years. But Bob said, you know what, it doesn't matter if you think that God rides a Harley and has long hair and smokes Roy Tans. If that helps you stay sober, if you can identify with that as a higher power, then so be it. So be it. I know some people say, well, you know, my higher power is the group because collectively, you know, we are stronger together. And that's true. I, I submit to you whatever works. In the beginning, I just had God. I, I had a, a belief that, you know what, there is a supreme deity that uh, is responsible for all this. There is a plan in place, and I have access to him 24 hours a day. Now, I wasn't ready to go to church. I wasn't ready to pay tithes. I wasn't ready to get up there and sing in the praise group or anything like that. But I understood what God was. There are other people that say, you know what, Steve, I, I just don't believe in God. You know what, and then that's completely okay. Completely okay. I don't think any less of you. And I hope you don't think any less of me. But you have to have something greater than yourself to put some faith and belief in. Whether that be the group, whether that be an oak tree in your yard, whether that be Mother Nature, whatever. Whatever works for you, you do it. Once we have that spiritual connection, we can begin to repair some of the damage we have done to our own souls. And I don't necessarily mean that you know soul in the biblical sense. You know, but we have a spirit within us, and uh, mine got battered around pretty good. And so over time, as I begin to kind of heal physically, begin to heal emotionally, and heal mentally, eventually I begin to heal spiritually as well. 
and I'm a firm believer in, uh, you know, in spirituality. And uh, there were years that uh, I went and did all this religious study. You know, I went, man, I, oh my gosh, I read every book there was on all the great religions. Uh, I went to church services all over, uh, you know, went, went, to, went to a mosque. I've been to all kinds of places like that because it was like this whole, you know, man's search for meaning thing. I was curious, do I believe these things simply because that's what's been taught to me or is it what I really believe? And so I kind of challenged my own belief system and I did all this research and I read everything that was available online and I went to these services and I wanted to go find somewhere that I felt something. And there were some places that I went that they were, they were absolutely, they were dead. I mean, they're like a bad Wednesday afternoon AA meeting, you know, in, in Bug Tussle, Tennessee. You know, and so there are other places that I went where I, I looked around and people looked so happy. And I thought, you know, I, I, want, I want to be like them. I, I, want, I want to understand, what, what is it about you? What do you have that I don't? Because I want what you have. And the best thing about that is it's free. You know, but a lot of it is just about you know, becoming spiritually mature in time. Because when I first came into the program, you know, I, I was, oh my gosh, I was so incredibly arrogant. You know, I, I remember getting, to, getting into a big... Uh, a big thing with uh, you know with Frank Capon there in in Hattiesburg at a group we had a group consciousness meeting because of how I wanted to speak in language uh, in meetings and uh, you know Frank was one of these uh, you know hardline old timer type guys and he didn't like these long haired guys like me coming in there disrupting the meeting and so you know I used the F word in meetings regularly and one time Frank even interrupted me in a meeting while I'm sharing. And so they, we have a group conscious, and, they, you know, Mike C. comes to me, and he goes, hey, listen, i got to work this thing out with you and Frank. And so Frank's like, hey, we'd already decided that we weren't going to use that language around ladies. And I was like, you know, Frank, you decided that. I, I didn't agree with that. Why do I have to behave the way that you want me to behave? Because the third tradition tells me that the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. And so I have a desire to stop drinking. I'm not drinking, and I continue to, uh, to chase the pursuit of non-drinking, and so, you know, you may be a little farther along in the spiritual evolution uh, than me, but I, I, I'm going to speak how I want to speak. And that was one of the things, too, when I got involved with Celebrate Recovery, that, you know, a lot of them were like, oh, we, you know, we don't want people using profanity. And I was, I'm just going to tell you right now, you're never going to attract these street drunks. And I thought that's one of the things that you wanted. You wanted to be able to get people in and help get them clean. You wanted to get people in. And, uh, you know, give them a place where they can feel safe and talk about the hangups in their life. And so if you start coming in here and censoring people and try to say, you can't, you can't do this, you can't do that, uh, you're going to lose those people. And so that's the thing about AA that I'll tell you is, is as spiritually bankrupt as I was. You know, the fine folks at, at AA in Hattiesburg kind of accepted me for who I was and where I was in my development as a person. Yeah, I don't think anybody then would look at Steve and said, "Hey, you know what? That, you know, Steve is a really spiritual person," because I wasn't. You know, I am now, and and I find inspiration and joy in everything. And that's one of the, whether it be a great rock song or whether it be you know interacting with somebody or or just kind of sometimes I go walk around the property and I just think, you know, man, God, thank you for this. You know, thank you for for second chances. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for giving me an opportunity to go to treatment. Thank you for allowing me to get sober in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, where there are so many great old timers or so many people that have so much wisdom to share. 
And so, you know, I got into these books and I read all these spiritual books and I, I read these daily reflections and things like that. And it always seemed that, you know, sometimes I was too cool for the room. You know, I was like, you read something, but oh, that doesn't mean anything. I don't agree with that. And you know what? That's okay, too. It's okay. Because if you keep coming back, eventually your heart softens a little bit. You know, because I was so incredibly angry. I was just angry at life. I was angry at myself. I mean, look at what a mess I have made with my life. And, you know, we go back to, you know, the, the just for today. You know, reading for today, it talks about that. You know, as you go through the throes of addiction and then you reach the point where you're on your knees and then we go through this phase where we're so incredibly bitter and resentful about all the things that have happened to us. And if that's where you are, just keep coming back. Just keep coming back. That's all I'm going to tell you. You're not, it's not going to get better tomorrow. You're not going to be 10 years sober in 30 days. You're not. But you keep coming back. You keep working on it and try to get a little bit better every day. A little bit healthier every day. Because we're not bad people trying to turn good. You know, we're sick people trying to get well. And that's a process. You know, you don't show up. I, I was so naive, and I've shared with you guys before. I thought, you know, maybe if I went to my room at Pine Grove and memorized the 12 steps, and I came out the next day and I could recite the 12 steps, that they would think, you know what, man, look, he's got it. He's figured it out. Okay, well, we'll go ahead and let him go home. That didn't, that didn't happen for me. You know, I thought I could outsmart this thing. I thought, you know what, because that's one of the curses of being intelligent, right? Is we think when we can BS our way through everything. That's what we believe. We believe, you know what, I'm smarter than just about everybody in the room. They're all going to be so incredibly impressed. But AA is the only thing in life that I have not been able to BS my way through. It's the only thing that I really had to do the work. You know, when I was in school, you know, I barely brought a book home because I could sit in class and I could absorb the material and I could at least go out there and, you know, crank out a B plus. You know, I could study the, you know, the morning of the test and go in there and bust out an A. And so, you know, the, the curriculum was not challenging enough to force me to really become a great student. I could make A's and B's uh, just kind of flying through. You know, I don't remember taking a book home uh, in high school, uh, after my sophomore year, I don't think I brought a book home for the last two years. When I went to uh, went to college, yeah, I barely had to study. Still made good grades. But when I got a hold of this, when I got my arms around this 12-step program of AA, all of a sudden I didn't feel so smart anymore. And that's part of this whole you know spiritual brokenness that we have is you know when we reach the end of our own understanding. That's where we find God. That's where we find a higher power. Because God will do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, but not one thing more. But God will also allow us, you know, to get to the end of our own understanding. And in those moments are, are where we're, we're kind of humbled. Those are the moments we realize, you know what, you know, I have really messed this thing up. I have really, really messed this thing up. And you begin to think, you know what, I'm going to need help to fix it. I'm going to need something bigger than myself to help me fix it. And so when I use the phrase, God, please don't be offended. I'm not trying to preach to you here today. You know, if if it's Buddha for you or, you know, or if it's, you know, uh, you know, just whatever, then it can be whatever. But you have to have something that you that you truly believe in. You know, I, I am at my heart an agnostic. I don't believe that any major religion has the corner on the market. 
for much of that. Just so you know. That's how I feel about it. And so I'm not going to get into a theological discussion with you today. I do believe that Christianity is the closest to what I actually believe. It, it may be different for you. And again, that's okay. And that's one of the things that really kind of irritated me when I first began this spiritual journey is there were so many people that wanted to kind of force their beliefs down my throat. Well, this is how it has to be. This is how it's got to be. Hey, listen, uh, well, now that you've identified God as your higher power, uh, let's go to church together on Sunday. And I'm like, wait a minute. Just pump the brakes here. I'm just not ready for that. I'm just not ready for that. Now, there are many people out there that say, you know what? I, you know, Steve, I got sober in my church. You know, I, I'll submit to you, you might not be drinking, but chances are you're not sober. And I don't want to take anybody's inventory, but I, I firmly believe, especially if we have not worked the 12 stops at least once. We- Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We probably should. That's the thing about the steps, and that's one of the things we're going to do in the weeks to come. We're gonna, I'm going to break down the 12 steps. We're going to work through those things together. I'm going to give you my thoughts every step of the way. But, you know, we get through step one, step two, step three, and those are really kind of belief steps. There's not a lot of action required. Yeah, you read them and say, yeah, I mean, you could work the first three steps, you know, in, in a day or two. I mean, you really could. Some, and there's some people right now, some of these AA hardliners are scoffing. Oh, when I did it, my sponsor took me through the first step in uh, 20 years. You know, uh, listen, that's not necessary because some people are going to be able to accept that. You know, for me, you know, when I began to look at those things, and I said, you know, yeah, I mean, that all makes sense to me. Yeah, I'm good with that. I'm good with it. And then my sponsor made me work the steps. We went through, and there's books out there on each particular step, and you can read that literature. And I think it helps you develop a much deeper understanding. You know, it's just like, you know, when you read the terms and conditions on your Microsoft stuff, you don't read that stuff. You just click a box. And there are a lot of people with the first three steps. They just kind of click a box and hit next. So you got to work those steps. But when you get to a fourth step, and you get to a fifth step. I mean, the fourth step is when we kind of separate, you know, the drive from the sober. Because that's the one that really requires some true honesty. You know what I'm saying? Because the fourth step for me was one of those things that uh, there's just something about writing it down that made it real for me. Because, again, I could kind of BS my way through the first three steps. But when I got to that fourth step, all of a sudden, you know, they couldn't just take my word for it. I had to actually sit down and write it, you know. And in the beginning, I thought, well, I'm just doing this to satisfy my sponsor. But once I got about halfway through that thing, I began to realize I would go back and say, you know what, I need, I need to dump this off too. You know, I've been carrying this around with me too. And so let me address this. And I remember you do the fourth step, and I remember thinking, you know, when I go in here and do this fifth step, and I tell these people, tell this guy all I've done, I mean, they're going to kick me out of the place. You know, of course, they've heard and seen everything under the sun. You know, we convince ourselves that we're, our problems are so unique. But once I completed my fourth and fifth step, I really, at that point, was really ready to go back and kind of embrace the spiritual principles of steps one, two, and three. 
because I had, you know, I just, again, it's just kind of like, oh yeah, okay, cool, let's go, you know. But my sponsor was very, 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 very thorough and uh, really kind of held me accountable for step four. And then you get through that and begin to think, okay, well, listen, you know, maybe, maybe there are some things I haven't really addressed. And so let me go back and address those things. And again, there's just, there is power in writing it all down. And uh, my wife, when, you know, when she got out of treatment, she had done her four step and, and she kept her four step. I, I, I would encourage you not to do that. Don't keep your four step. I know some people say, well, I like to go back and reference it. You know, I just, I think that's too much evidence laying around. They could fall into the wrong hands. Because if you have truly done a four step, if you have really done a true searching and fearless moral inventory, you're going to write some things down there that would make your pre- your preacher blush. And there are nosy people around. I mean, you know, we all have enemies. And so I, I'm going to encourage you when you do that four step, you'll have a burning ceremony, go out with some friends or whatever. And, you know, you know, roast wieners or whatever and marshmallows and then uh, take some time for yourself and uh, kind of get in a meditative state and burn the four step. And it's not just to destroy the evidence. I think there is a spiritual undertaking when you burn that four step. And I'm, I'm getting chills talking about this with you guys right now because and that, that's again, that's confirmation for me that I'm on the right track with this. But when you burn that four step, it's almost like throwing it completely away. Like, you know, we, we, that's, we talk about that. You know, it's like, you know, we talk about, you know, tossing, you know, your sins into the sea of forgetfulness or whatever, you know. I think when you burn the four-step, it's almost like burying who you once were. And that stuff doesn't have to be with you anymore. You don't have to drag that crap around with you anymore. And there, to me, there is a spiritual component to all of that. And, and again, I don't care what you believe religiously. I don't, I don't care what you believe religiously. But there is something very therapeutic and cathartic about burning the fourth step. And then going and doing the, you know, of course, you have, you have to do the fifth step first because you've got to go read a lot of that stuff. But once you get through that phase of your recovery... I think it is very important to do that. And I think that will draw you closer to your higher power, no matter who or what that is. Because I believe, you know, when you think about the higher power concept, I believe, well, you know, my higher power wants what's best for me. That's one of the things they talk about in the big book. And um, I wish I could cite this. I don't read the big book as much as I used to and probably as much as I should. But you know, one of the things it talks about is, you know, you know, we're not going to be given, you know, there, there are times in life, one of the promises of AA is that we will, we will intuitively know how to handle situations that used to baffle us. And that is a spiritual miracle as well. It's one of those things that happens, you know, when you begin to get mentally and spiritually restored, now all of a sudden it's like these things happen. You're like, okay, well, I'm, I'm not going to go do this. Here's what I'm going to do. And you kind of, you know, move away from old behavior. You know, old behavior yields you old results. It's like the old thing they put on the wall, you know. It's like uh, if you do the things you've always done, you'll get what you've always gotten. And so let me encourage you again to really look at that and and examine the spiritual component in that. Because almost like to me, it's almost like, you know, it's it's almost a ritual of sorts. I write the fourth step down. I go share it as a fifth step. And then I'm going to go burn. I'm going to burn the evidence. But at the same time, too, I am basically declaring that person dead. 
the person that I used to be is now dead. That person is no more. And there is something about that that is very, very spiritually satisfying. I became a lot less resentful after fourth and fifth step. Tremendously less resentful. And a big part of that is because I had spent the early stages of my recovery blaming everybody else. And then when you go through that fourth step, and, you, and you know, of course, step two, you get restored to sanity, right? So when you get on the business side of step two and you get to step four, for me, I went through that and I began to realize that, you know what, I was my own worst enemy, that it wasn't my friends, it wasn't, you know, the circle of influence. I, I did these things. I'm the one that messed up my life. Now, there are some people out there that have experienced some very serious trauma, many of which require some, you know, some professional intervention. I wasn't one of those people. Now, did I have some trauma in my life? Yes, absolutely. But certainly not as severe as many other people. There are some people, of course, that are you know, victims of sexual assault or victims of child molestation. And, and uh, that is something, to be honest with you, that is probably that AA is not necessarily equipped to, to handle alone. You probably need some professional assistance with all that. But I was one of those people that, you know, I had been through some things and uh, so much of it, you know, it, it, it's incredible the things, the situations that we put ourselves into because we think that somehow we are above the rules. So, you know, the standards don't apply. You know, the law doesn't apply to me. You know, I broke the law, I broke my values, broke my morals because none of that stuff mattered to me. You know, it's kind of a self-will run riot thing. You know, it's like, you know, well, this is what I want to do, so this is what I'm going to do. I'm, a, I'm going to do what I want to do. And if there are consequences for those actions, then I'm prepared to deal with them. And that all sounds good, you know, in a, in a speech or something, or, you know, you write some Shakespearean sonnet and you're performing, you know, it, it all sounds wonderful. But that's kind of where I was. A lot of those decisions brought me through some places that I never really wanted to go. And, it, you know, had me, you know, kind of uh, intermingling with some people that uh, I probably shouldn't have had relationships with. And some of, some of those were romantic. But that's what you do. And so, and, and what happens, and I, I see this all the time when people with varying stages of recovery, it's like as we begin to kind of talk and we begin to get honest and we find our, our, our common bond here, there's so many people that said, well, you know, I was in this bad relationship and they did this to me, so I did this. You know, I couldn't hurt them back, and so my way of hurting them back was to hurt myself, not realizing that, you know, it's like the old adage they say, you know, resentment's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. It's like, well, I'll just show you. And that's kind of how I was. I was a self-destructive person. So any girl that ever broke my heart, I wanted to punish her by making myself as miserable as I could. I wanted to be as pitiful, and then, then like that was going to bring them back. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, well, look what I've done to him. Well, it never, it never worked. It, not one time did it work. Not one single solitary time. Did some girl say, oh, oh, my gosh, look how heartbroken he is. Look what I've done to him. Let's get back together, Steve. Let's get your act cleaned up. Oh, I love you so much. It didn't happen. Now, in my, in my sick way of thinking, I thought, well, this, this will get him back. This is what we'll do. Because, again, I was so spiritually sick. I was absolutely spiritually broken. And when I came into these rooms, people began to talk about the higher power concept. And I was like, I don't understand what that means. And, 
And there's all these spiritual principles and they got the steps up on the wall and they're talking about God. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't want to deal with any of that. I thought I was going to AA. I didn't think I was going to First Baptist Church. But in time, I began to realize, you know, I can substitute those, some of those words, you know, that kind of fit my value system. Until I, until I was ready to accept that as written, you know, I got a little creative. Because there are a lot of things that we do that become stumbling blocks in our own recovery. And I, and I was doing that. I was kind of throwing those things out in front of me. Oh, well, this isn't for me because of this. And these are a bunch of church people. And this is all this and this all that. And uh, those were excuses. You know, I'm in a couple of these AA Facebook groups. And uh, I think some of them are very good. Some of them, uh, you know, are, are, are kind of run by tyrants that uh, if you don't agree with their, their line of thinking, they'll just delete the post. But... Um, you know, whatever. But uh, there are all these people that I see come in and they say, you know, well, AA didn't work for me. And I always say, well, did you work for AA? And they say, well, what do you mean? I said, well, did you ever get, did you get a sponsor? No. Did you work the steps? No. Did you go to meetings? No. Well, how does, how can it work for you? I mean, you didn't go hire AA. It's not like you went and hired an accountant to do your taxes. You know, we're going to show you the path, but it's up to you to do your part. And so there are a lot of people out there, and I was one of them, and thankfully I didn't relapse. There are a lot of people out there as they make excuses. You know, it's like, and for me, you know, when I left Pine Grove, I thought, you know, I don't know that I can do this. I was scared, and I couldn't wait to get out and get packed up and get to the first meeting. That's where I wanted to be. I was like, oh, my gosh. I got to get out of here. I got to get through the day and get to a meeting so I can feel normal again. Now, used to, I'd have to wake up and drink or, and smoke a, you know, smoke a joint to feel normal, to begin to function out the day. Could drink a Bud Light long neck and smoke a joint just to kind of get up before I had breakfast to kind of get the day going. And then, then things kind of changed for me. It's like, well, you know, I just need to make it through the work day and then get over to the Rebos Club uh, over by the police station in Hattiesburg and uh, reconnect with my people. You know, meeting was 8 o'clock. I got out there at 9 o'clock, and you sit out there, and you kind of talk to everybody, 9.15, 9.30. Well, then, you know, by the time I get home, it's time to go to bed and get up and go do it over tomorrow. And so it was good to be expected somewhere. And then the more times that I went, the more times that I went, all of a sudden, I wasn't quite so angry anymore. Because you, you, because in, in the middle of all these going to meetings, there begins to be some recovery in your life. You know what I'm saying? You get a job. It may not be the job you want. But sometimes you got to do what you have to do and you can do what you want to do. But all of a sudden, it's like, okay, well, I'm able to pay the bills and uh, I don't have any tickets to pay. I don't have any court appearances to meet. And so you look up one day and you're like, well, wait a minute, the lights are still on. There's, there's food in the refrigerator. And so the resentment about all of the stuff that we went through begins to kind of subside a little bit because you're like, okay, well, you know, I'm, run, I'm doing it. I'm finding a new way to live. And then when I would go to the meeting the next day, I'd be like, you know what, hey, you know, it's actually a pretty good work day today. And so as we began to heal and, you know, kind of, you know, remove ourselves from the carnage of our lives, we began to see these spiritual awakenings begin to happen for us. And sometimes that happens slowly. Sometimes it happens quickly. But eventually it happens. Eventually it does. And there are some people out there that are just so bound and determined I'm never going to feel anything. You know what? And if that's the case, maybe you're better off going and getting drunk again. 
maybe you need to do some more research because by the time that I got to Pine Grove and by the time that I got to AA and you know, the gratitude group and all those great places in Hattiesburg, by the time I got there, I would have done anything, absolutely anything. I would have moved to Alaska and never associated with any of my old friends again if that's what it took. Because I was at that point, I was completely convinced that I was an alcoholic and a drug addict. I did not need to go out and do any more research. Some of you may need to. And good luck with that, because chances are you won't make it back. So why not go ahead and kind of work this thing now? There's a lot of people out there and say, well, you know, I just don't know if I'm ready. Okay, cool. Let, let your family know what color flowers that you want on your coffin so we can make sure that happens correctly for you. You know, why put off to tomorrow? Why would we want to continue to endure those painful consequences? Yeah, that's, a, that's a thing. Again, if you have to ask yourself, hey, am I an alcoholic? Chances are you are. And chances are you're so spiritually and morally bankrupt at this point that you need somebody to kind of point you in the right direction. That's how it was for me. I I give credit to uh, a guy by the name of Jim C. I've had so many heroes in my life. I really have. I've had so many heroes in my recovery. People that I look back and I remember their names and remember their faces. And not necessarily because of what they said, but of how they made me feel. And I remember Jim C., and I've talked about him on the show before. Jim C. just looked at me and he goes, you know, Steve, why are you so angry? Why are you so angry? And I didn't even realize I was. I said, I don't, I don't know. I don't know why I'm so angry. And he goes, you know, I don't need to, but I want you to know that the love for that I feel for you is real. And he grabbed me and he hugged me. And I just cried on his shoulder. And it was the first time that I had cried, and I don't know when. And, the, of course, you know, this is, I had some nights there towards the end. I, you know, I'm, I'm laying in a bed, you know, my heart about to beat out of my chest because of some Mickey Finn that I've taken. You know, I was content to die that way. I thought, well, this, this is just how it'll be for me. This is what will happen. I'll die, and they'll bury me, and I won't have to deal with any of this stuff anymore. That's a sick way to think. It's a sick way to live. But that's how I felt. And all of a sudden, you know, you know I, I get arrested and go to jail. So I was angry about that. I was angry that I got caught. I was angry I wasn't smart enough to get away with it. I was angry that I had used, you know, the co-conspirators that I had were, were dumb enough to get me caught. And so I was angry about all that stuff. But at the, at, at the core of it all, I was angry at myself because I had made such a mess of my life. And I was not in a position to fix it by myself. I had to have a spiritual connection with a higher power. And thank God I found one. And so, again, when you go to meetings, when you listen to these podcasts, when you read the literature, don't look for things that allow you to make an excuse for yourself. Because there are thousands upon thousands of people that had the same feelings you did that are sober today because they were able to humble themselves and pay attention to this simple program. And for some of us, maybe we're too smart for it. You know, it's like we think, well, you know, that may work for them, but it's not going to work for me. And I really thought, you know, when they talked about, you know, this sounds really sick, but they talk about, you know what, there are some people that are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. They are such unfortunates. And, and I was like, maybe that's me. Maybe I'll be in that number here. And then it would kind of, nobody could blame me because I'm constitutionally incapable of being honest with myself. It was almost like I wanted that. 
Like I wanted to be the exception. Like I wanted to say, you know what, I can't do this, but it's not because I'm not strong enough or uh, not smart enough. It's just I'm, I'm in that, that small category of people that just are beyond hope. Yeah, I wanted that. That just goes to show you how sick I was. And so maybe you're feeling that today. Maybe you feel completely alone. You think, man, God doesn't care about me. My family doesn't care about me. But I'll tell you, I, I care about you. I, I do. I don't even know your name. I'm a, I, I've gone a little longer than I normally do. But uh, I'm going to share with you guys that there are a few songs out there in life that, uh, that always get to me. Always, 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 always get to me. And one of them that uh, I listen to regularly, and I, I don't, even talking about it, I'm, getting, I'm tearing up right now talking about it, but it's a song that is so incredibly special to me because they're singing my story. And it's Aerosmith's song, Amazing. It's amazing when you finally see the light. And uh, Desmond Child wrote that song with Steven Tyler, and then they wrote it in about 10 minutes. And they were they had left a meeting, or they were going to a meeting, and and uh, Desmond Child turned to Stephen Tyler, and they were talking about recovery. And he goes, "You know, I kept the right ones out, and let the wrong ones in." And Steve Tyler said immediately, it was laid on his heart to say, "I had an angel of mercy to see me through all my sin," and it all kind of came together. But uh, you know, there's times in that song late when Stephen's kind of doing the Stephen Tyler scatting and all that sort of stuff, and he talks about, "I know, I know." And that's my message to you today is I, I know, I know, I get it. I know I've been there. I've been there. I know how bad it hurts. I know how desperate you feel. And I know you, you feel like nobody loves you. I, I know, I know. I'm not just telling you, I know I'm telling you, you're not alone. You're not alone. You're not the only person that's felt that way. Because I know for a fact that I felt that way. I felt like nobody loved me. I felt that I was beyond hope. And I thought that I could die and nobody would miss me. That's how I felt. I thought, you know what? My family would be better off if I wasn't around. And that's what happens with this disease. Is it robs you of the will to live. It robs you of your spirit. It robs you of your spiritual health. But I know. I know. And there are people out there thinking, no, Steve, you don't know. I'm I'm fixing to lose my family. You know, (laughs) I lost mine. I did. Wasn't married with kids at the time. But uh, there were so many people in my life that I thought, you know, that they were just going to hang around and just, you know, let me keep abusing them. And uh, they'd had enough. You know, my favorite aunt told me, after I got arrested, she says, you know, as much as I love you, I'm not willing to trade my parents for you because you nearly killed your grandparents with all this. And I broke so many hearts. And uh, it's easy for me to talk about that today because I, I'm at a point now that I've made those amends. And, um, you know, it's still one of those things, too. I, I think about, you know, imagine how my mom, my dad, my brother, my sisters, all of them felt when they found out that I'd been arrested. And I'm sure they thought, well, maybe it's a public drunk or, you know, a simple possession charge. And they find out that I'm facing, you know, four felonies. And I could be going away for probably 46 years. I guess that's what they said, 40, 40, 46 years. I don't remember. And so 
now that I have kids of my own, I can kind of fully appreciate the pain that I inflicted on those people closest to me. I didn't fully understand it then because I thought, you know what, this is all about me. These are my problems. But there were a lot of people that wanted to keep me at arm's length after that. A lot of friends. I had a lot of friends that, uh, you know, because I was able to go through six months of the boot camp program, they thought, well, you know, he must have turned state's evidence. He's probably an ARC. One of the reasons I wanted to leave my hometown because I was afraid that somebody would shoot me and lay me in the Pearl River, you know. I knew a lot of people doing a lot of bad things. You know, and, and it'd be easy to make me disappear, right? But I don't know what you're dealing with today. But I can promise you that it's temporary. I can promise you that it is. And I can promise you, if you don't drink today, and you don't drug today, that tomorrow will probably be a little bit better. A little bit. At the very least, you won't be hung over, right? Or you won't be out copping for more dope. And that's one day. And then that day, the next day, we'll do the same thing. But no matter what you're going through, no matter what you've dealt with, no matter what you think you're going to lose, I want you to know you're never alone because I'm right there with you.